having a, a family member struggle through chronic illness and pain and fight every day of their life. My whole thing was always, if they can do that, like I can wake up and do this. And that's kind of where everything that I do on a daily basis, if they could do that, I can do this. If they can carry theirs, I can carry mine. And I couldn't do anything without that. I mean, that's literally what shaped me. How do we, as medical professionals, create the life of our dreams and still impact the lives of our patients? My name is Dr. Adam Sewell, and I'm here to show you how to break free of the traditional healthcare system that has you overworked and underpaid. If you're ready to join us, visit freedomthroughprosperity.com. But for now, let's get into today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Medical Entrepreneur Podcast. We have an excellent guest with us today. Sunny uh, is here with us. She's going to share her story and kind of her journey becoming a medical entrepreneur and her her life uh, path being an entrepreneur. Hey, guys. So, uh, Sunny, would you like to tell us a little more about yourself? Well, um, I got into nursing. I had a, my younger brother was born chronically ill, so kind of always spent growing up in the hospitals on the other side. I finally got into nursing. That was why I did it. I knew right away that I didn't want to be a bedside nurse. I wanted to go straight into CRNA. So I did the ICU experience and went straight through school to um, be a CRNA. I wanted to be able to care for one patient at a time and to be a good bedside nurse, like you're spread so thin, like you can't just you can't do it. It's it's nearly impossible to give everybody what they need. So I figured, you know, CRNA would be where I could devote all my attention to one person at one time. Um, so that's kind of where I started and why I got into it. And then a little bit of why I ended up doing aesthetics. I actually started right at COVID. I signed up for the um, Kelly's Beautify course. I signed up for that in March, 2020. <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was crazy. And it was just this thing like I realized everything was changing and I knew I didn't want to trade my time for money anymore. I wanted to build something for myself and my family instead of, you know, being somebody else's workhorse and building their business. Um, and I found I saw this as a way that I could do that for my family. I've never considered myself really an artistic person. <laughs> so really like learning like the facial balancing and all of those things were, were difficult for me at first. So I spent a lot of time and money and energy trying to just be the best injector that I could be. Um, and then circle comes and that actually has completely changed how I look at my business. So that's kind of where I started and here I am. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think it's really important that you realize you said, you know, a lot of people, like when I talk to a lot of uh, people that are still kind of stuck in the mainstream medical system, you know, they, they feel like exactly like you're describing, like you're a workhorse for somebody else. Every day you work, you get your, you get your like salary and then you got to do it again next month, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're not building any kind of like long-term asset, you know? Right. So I think it was very wise that you were able to identify that. How would you say that, you know, since you started your, your practice, um, was it, can you maybe describe like kind of like how, was it really scary for you? How did you feel about it? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I felt like an imposter for a long time. <laughs> Even after I knew that I was highly equipped and probably better trained than most people out there, I wanted to do mobile and like concierge. I realized very quickly that that wasn't going to work for me, that I wasn't 
if I wasn't all in, I wasn't all in. So then I got a one room place set up and I kind of did that for about a year. And then the opportunity came to grow into a larger space. And I have like, like a 1200 square foot, like five room place. Um, I'm trying to fill it up (laughs) full time would be my ideal goal. So that's kind of where I started. And it was very scary. Um, But I have a background in sales. Sales has kind of always been just second nature to me. Because if you believe it, you can you can convince anybody of it. It's not selling it if you believe it. Like if you truly believe in something, you're servicing them. You're not selling them anything. So that's kind of the only portion of this that was kind of easy for me. But I didn't have a lot of supporters. There weren't a lot of fans along the way. So transitioning out of CRNA and into this was definitely difficult. Uh, and as it, it reminds me of the traditional uh, medical entrepreneur journey where it's like when you first start out, everybody says, you're crazy. What are you doing? You can't do that. You should stay, take the conservative route, you know, d- you know, stay at the hospital. And the thing is that like, then when you actually do it, then later they're like, oh, wait, you're my friend. Right. So now that you did it, like <laughs> now I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. You know? There's a lot of that. Actually, when I first um, started and I had my one room place and I was trying to get all my colleagues to come in and you know, service them. I got these magnets for my car and it was like Botox party. I'll host you this and that put my phone number on it. Drove that around every day for months, nothing, never got one phone call from it. Finally, one day I was just so frustrated. I just ripped it off my car and I was like, all right, forget it. I drove into work the very next day and everybody's like, Oh, so you're, I see your, I see your magnets gone. Did your business fail? Are you, is, is it not working out for you? And I was like, you know what? Actually, I had to take them off because I'm so booked I couldn't handle another person. And that's what I told them. And literally every single person started lining up trying to come in. I made them all wait three months. I said, I am booked out three (laughs) months. That is why they came off in my car. And I sat there with barely anything going on for three months and made every single one of them wait. (laughs) And it kind of worked. Yeah, absolutely. And then now sometimes you have to become the thing that you want to be, you know, like I think there's a lot to that. One of the things that I find most interesting about you, there, there's so many great things about your personality. A, you're always positive. Yeah. Like as far as I've seen you, you're, you're always positive. It seems like you can roll with the punches very well, which, you know, a lot of times because of medical training, we're, you know, trained to be these perfectionists. And so when something goes wrong, so many times people are like, oh, I just, you know, I just can't handle it, you know. Like it's either, either I had to get it perfect or I don't get it at all. And in the real world is much different than that. How did you overcome those like uh, things like that? Um, I do struggle with that because I, you know, as being this, we are type A, we are perfectionists, but I've had a lot of um, struggle and chaos just in my whole life growing up and in my family. And, you know, it's, it's been a rough road. So you just kind of, you just roll with it. I always count my life by the blessings and not the pain or the hardships that I've had. You know, um, every single day is a chance for something else. So that's kind of how I've, <laughs> how I live it. That is awesome. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was also sales because so often in medicine, A, we're not taught any kind of sales at all. You know, you're always taught like, oh, you need to not sugarcoat stuff. You need to just be direct with patients or something like this effect. Uh, sometimes they teach you bedside manner, although even that's kind of going away. What would you say, like, from somebody who was initially like a salesperson, kind of before you went to to nursing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, so you were a, like basically a salesperson, and now you're on the medical side. To me, like, I feel like sales is like really critical for everybody to understand, but it sometimes has like a bad reputation. You know, sure. is there anything that you want to talk about, maybe regarding sales in medicine? Um, I guess if you just 
So I've had my real estate license since uh, 2003. So a long time I did real estate. I actually did real estate all the way up until the market crashed in 2008. And that's when I decided I was going back for some security. And that's whenever I went into nursing school. But with sales, I believe it's all in the takeaway. You know, you tell somebody they can't have it and it drives them nuts. They're going to have it. (laughs) They're going to find a way. And that's what they want. They want that exclusive. They want that, you know, selective. It's only for a few people. Everybody's got FOMO. Yes, that's really true. Mm-hmm. So uh, takeaway selling is huge. And so often I see people, you know, medicine, especially when you're first starting out, you're just so worried about getting the sale at all. You yeah, know, <laughs> you, exactly. you kind of bend over backwards and then people like take advantage of you, you know? Well, people, they smell blood in the water. If they can smell the fear on you or the, the need, that's whenever I always found that I did the worst in sales is whenever I had, I had to sell. I had to do it because otherwise my bills weren't getting paid. You know, people... They recognize that. So if you can go into it and, you know, just shrug that part off and figure out how to speak to them without that fear of losing the sale, then I think that's where you're really going to capitalize on it. If you can get in the mindset that there's going to be another client, if it's not this one, the next one's going to come in and get it from you. You don't have to have this one. Then I think that'll really help you. So that's kind of how I do it. You know, there's always somebody else that's going to take it if you're not. And so since you made the jump from basically being a hospital employee to, I imagine you were, I didn't, I guess I never asked you, were you actually a hospital employee, like a W-2? Yep, I was or? W-2. I've been um, wow. PRN for the last, since October last year, I went PRN. And um, actually, this is my first month that I'm doing absolutely zero anesthesia. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. And then would you say that now as a, as you know, owning your own business, do you, uh, can, can you talk about maybe how that has changed your life, your schedule, uh, anything that, you know, any, anything that like somebody, I guess if someone was listening to this and they were, you know, we have a lot of people listen to it and they're, you know, nurse practitioners, CRNAs, uh, medical doctors, chiropractors, et cetera. And they, you know, maybe they're on the fence and they're working for someone else and they're like, man, should I pull the trigger? Should I not? Any words of advice you might have for someone like that? Um, I work harder than I ever did in the hospital. (laughs) I mean, for me, I do because I'm working on the business end of it. I'm working on building something that's going to be my retirement, something that's going to pay me when as a passive person where I'm not in a treatment room. That is my goal for, for my med spa, not to be an injector, to be the CEO of the company and to be passive. So now I'm working harder than I ever did. You know, I mean, when I did anesthesia, yeah, I worked hard for those 40 hours, but I clocked out. I went home. I didn't think about it. That's not the case with this. This is always something that I'm pouring more into. And so while it may be harder now, I know that in the future for my family, this is what I'm building for them. I know like for me, I've always worked harder building a business, but sometimes I think back or, you know, sometimes I'll even... I think back to the time where like I had like a job, like I, I never even went W2 because I didn't, I didn't want to have even that much control over me, mm-hmm. but uh, like I did 1099. And I remember um, thinking like I could be working on my business and building something, or I could be doing like, you know, something else, right? Like what would most people do? And, you know, I looked at it and it's like, we could be watching TV, watching a rerun you've already seen, you know, <laughs> like going out to eat again. Like you look at it, it's like, wow, there's really not, like to, to me, there's not that much more stuff that I would want to do anyway, mm-hmm. because it's like, at least you have some focus and so passion because so much of our life is defined by our purpose. Right. And, you know, if you don't really have a purpose, your purpose is, Hey, I work my 40 hours. And then, then, then the free, then whatever they give me off as, as my free time is what my life is in. 
it's so often like you don't really have much of a life either. You know, it's like you watch Game of Thrones three times. Like, you know, <laughs> did you really need to watch it that many times? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, any more advice to someone who is maybe a CRNA? They're at the hospital. They're doing Q3. They're getting burned out. They, they don't like the negative environment. They're looking for some way to get control over their life and schedule. Uh, what advice would you have for someone like that? I mean, if you're thinking about it, you have nothing to lose to venture off into it. You don't have to, you know, rip the Band-Aid off right at the beginning. You can always, you know, figure out and reach out to people. That's the beautiful thing about this community. I mean, if we've built a community. I mean, you guys have built a community, and it's it's really nice to have the support. Um, there's There's so many different avenues and resources for people who are thinking about doing it. You know, reaching out to you and Jennifer and Kelly, <clears throat> it's just been a great thing to have. Well, thank you so much. That's such a compliment. One, one of the things I see a lot is people, they go into medicine and they're kind of like almost identified early. I don't, I don't know if this happened to you. Like you, maybe you were a nurse and they're like, wow, you know, you're really intelligent. Maybe you should be a CRNA or you know, something like this. And you're kind of like, kind of like selected out to, to do these things. And then you get there and it's like, whoa, I'm just basically doing this kind of algorithm over and over. And it's not, I don't have any creativity like I'm not growing every day. Like I'm just kind of doing the same thing. How do you feel like your life has changed in terms of that kind of growth since you've had your own business? So, I mean, yes, that always happened to me. You were, you know, always identified as like a person that they could get more out of. But for me, coming from my background in sales into nursing, I always identified that as them giving me more work for the same pay. So my answer was always no. My first answer to 99% of anything that anybody ever asks me is no. I Because then I can stop. I can think about it, whether it's going to benefit me, whether it's going to benefit my family, whether it's good for what it is that I see for myself. And if it doesn't, then the answer stays no. If it turns out that, yeah, it might not be such a bad thing, then you can go back and say yes. And then you get all the glory for saying yes. You never get the glory for saying yes the first time. So I always say no the first time to everything. Sonny, that is gold. That is gold. Like, I don't think you realize it. That's so true. And I remember um, Ross Perot once said something like that too. Uh, Ross Perot was the CEO of EDS Systems, which is like a multi-billion dollar company. And he always said, initially, when you have nothing, you're supposed to say yes. But then once you start to get something, the most important thing you can say is no. The most important word you can know is no. So I think you, I think you nailed that one right out the gate. <laughs> it's worked <laughs> for me. Job. That's really, you know... The answer is always no until I give it some thought and decide, you know, how it benefits me. That's really smart. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel like, do you, do you feel like you have a creative outlet now that you have a business as well? I like it because it's challenging, right? Like everything in my life is, you know, I don't find it interesting unless it's challenging. Like it doesn't give me purpose or it doesn't like make me want to work harder. If it's easy, then I, I'm not interested in it. And I've definitely found this challenging um, I know that I am my own limiting factor, like literally the only thing that can limit my growth and what I'm going to perform in the day is myself. Um, so I love that about this. I only have myself to blame whenever it's when it doesn't work out. But then tomorrow comes and you get a chance to you get a new chance. Action has been um, very important to me, too, because I can sit and plan and go through the videos and listen to the coaching and, you know, do the appointments and I can make these big elaborate plans, but if I'm not taking the action on them, then it means nothing. So whenever you mentioned the, um, about the seven perfect decisions and like hundreds of other imperfect decisions, like 
that really resonated with me. That's something that I need to work on. And I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm just going to start throwing it out there and seeing what sticks. That was a really, that's a really good point. Um, and so that's, that's a life lesson I had to learn as well. Cause you know, so often you, you, especially, I feel like our training really in some ways hampers us, you know, mm-hmm. or almost makes us better to, to be a little, you know, bold, maybe makes us better slaves because, you know, they don't, they, like many times, if you look at the hospitals, they don't want you to try new things. They don't want you to do anything. You do, do what they say. You do, you know, do your pay. Do, do, do what, you know, do, you, sorry, you get your pay. You know, you're only going to get this much. Don't try to make extra. If you make too much, then you're, you're greedy. You know, if you work too many hours, then you're abnormal, you know, that kind of thing. And I just feel like it was such a limiting factor. And then just like, when you go out to the real world, there is no perfectionism. It's just like, whatever you can get done, you can get done. And so often, many, many times, you don't need to be even close to perfect to win. Like you could be, you can get like a 70% accomplishment and still win, you know, (laughs) like sure you can make it better for sure in the future, but you know, it's, it's so opposite of what we're kind of almost trained to to think, at least from, from a lot of our academic things, you know, absolutely. (laughs) One of the things I see a lot with our medical colleagues is that you know, we have highest level of physician suicides. We got highest level of CRNA suicides. We got highest level of nurse suicides. We got highest level of, um, and I would say all providers abusing drugs, alcohol, like these things are reaching all time highs in almost every asset of medicine, right? Um, they measure physicians a lot, but I mean, it's, it's everywhere, like PAs, MPs, you name it. Would you maybe talk about how you use your mindset to navigate the world? And also imagine like, maybe you could tie it even into or I'm not sure if you thought about this, but a lot of people that are excellent at sales, like you were in the beginning, you have a certain resiliency because you've had to deal with rejection, you know, from sales. Could you maybe talk about, you know, some of the things that you use for mindset or things that maybe you've learned along the path? Yeah, sure. So with me, whenever I lost sales, it was always just next. That was just the very first thing that always popped in my head. It was, it was next, you know, there's going to be another one. Um, And as far as like resiliency and, just how my mindset is, has uh, helped keep me forward. You know, I mental health is like a huge thing now. And I honestly never saw it until recently. Um, it's something I never identified with or understood what people were going through. Even in my own family, I didn't identify it now until more recently. And I can look and see that, you know, that's not just, we used to make excuses for them, right? But like now you can look and see like, okay, there was like, literally a real issue there. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work out well for them. I, n- I never understood it. Me, myself, you know, having having a, a family member struggle through chronic illness and pain and fight every day of their life. My whole thing was always, if they can do that, like, I can wake up and do this. And that's kind of where everything that I do on a daily basis, if they could do that, I can do this. If they can carry theirs, I can carry mine. And I couldn't do anything without that. I mean, that's literally what shaped me. Wow. That is beautiful. You can tell you're very passionate about it too. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I think, you know, the one thing I find about you all the time is that like, and and Jennifer actually kind of tipped me off to this, but like (laughs) she was for the longest time, I mispronounced her name. So I apologize (laughs) again. Um, I keep calling you Sunni instead of Sunny. So like, sorry about that. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but one of the things that, uh, you know, she always said is like, Sunny's, Sunny's like the sun. She's always shining. She's always happy. She's always positive. And I thought, man, you know, like that, that kind of like high energy, high, you know, some people might say like high vibrational state, you know, high, like trying to focus on your happiness. Like 
taking a look at the world and realizing, hey, there's negatives and positives, and it's up to me to decide whether to look at the negative and positives. I think you're a master of without you kind of knowing. It's like, you know, the whole progression of like education is like you're unconsciously incompetent, then you're like consciously uh, incompetent, and then you become like, you know, <laughs> the whole thing where you get to a point where you're like unconsciously competent. Like, I think that's where you have your mindset now is that you're pretty much always happy. Like, mm-hmm you're always positive. And I was curious to see, like, did you find that when you were happier and positive, that it helped with your ability to, to sell and, and accomplish a like task? Do you find that there was a state dependent relationship like that? Um, one thing that I really recognized with that, like always being a positive person and I've never in my life really compared myself to other people. It's not something that I've typically done. I've never been a jealous person or, you know, looked at what I have, what they have. And, However, until I got into this business, right, then you start looking around and you're like, oh, my goodness, well, look what they're doing. And, you know, there's 10 other med spas within five miles of me and, you know, things like that. Like that was something new for me to not so much like focus just on myself, but kind of start seeing what other people were doing. Um, That kind of helped me down a little bit, you know. I had to get out of that mindset and break away from that. I'm like, that's not healthy for me. Not comparing myself. Everybody comes to different people for different reasons. And my clients are going to be my clients versus the person that's a mile down the road from me going to be their clients. So really in breaking away from the comparing thing, comparing my practice and my services to other people right down the street. Um, I believe that, you know, the tide rises all ships. So I think that one thing that I did that really ended up working out for me and helping me break that that cycle of looking at other people, I made friends with um, somebody who owns a med spa, like the closest one to me, like a mile down the street, um, kind of similar size practice, similar type of services. And, you know, I've made a real true, genuine friend in her. Um, we talk about things. I love her social media. I'm constantly building her up. I've even told people about her. You know, she has a laser. I don't have a laser. Whereas coming from like, uh, you know, the cutthroat sales background that I had, that's something I never would have done before. Um, so I think pulling from that and then bringing it into this is kind of like a marriage between the two things. Like I'm not either thing, you know, hard and fast. Like you just kind of got to look at, what you bring to the table and try to present it in you know, the best way you can for people. And so would you say that you feel more like the community over competition is kind of like a principle that you adhere to? Or I do. I definitely do. Because I want to see other people do well. Um, when I see them do well, it makes me smile. Like, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, other people's happiness. Um, and I know that mine will come. You know, if I'm not having it in this moment, you know, I will have mine. You are 100% right. And this one thing I, I tell people, like, and this is something I had to learn myself was like, so often I was, even when I built my first practice, I was like, always looking at other people like, oh, they got to practice. How many patients do they have? Like, how can I get more? You know, like kind of very, very competitive, mm-hmm. you know? And um, what I realized over time was one, even with everybody, if everybody doubled the size of their business, like, like if you actually measure the market size, like it's not like, like even you can look at this in like huge markets, like for example, Apple computer, like the actual computers of Apple, I think they're like some like 13% of the market only, but like everybody I know has a Mac, you know, like I'm using a Mac right now. You may be using Mac or you, I think you're using an iPad, yeah. right? Yeah, so I mean like you're using Mac, but yet they're only 13% of the market. So there's, there's even more market space for them to dominate, even though they're as famous as they are. Right. And so 
one of the things I realized was that it's not so much the other people around you that are ever holding you down, but it's um, the, the first thing you have to do is you have to be able to be happy for someone else's success if you're ever going to achieve that success yourself. That's one thing I see with people, especially with money, is like they will have a mindset where they're like, oh, I really want to be wealthy. I really want to be rich. And then like as soon as they see a wealthy, rich person, they say, that horrible person, they must have cheated. They must have stolen. They must be a drug dealer. You know, that kind of thing is like, wait a minute, if you say that, then how are you going to be wealthy? Because if you believe those things, and then, <laughs> you know, basically you're programming yourself to never be wealthy, right? You know, um, and it's the same kind of deal with competition. So I, I think, you know, for me, like I've, I feel like you have to be, you have to celebrate wins, even in your biggest enemy, because those wins, if you celebrate them, allows you to achieve them as well. If every time you see somebody who's reaching the thing you don't want, and you're like, Oh, they're horrible. They, they should have never done that. Da, da, da. Well, how are you in your mind going to justify it when you when you succeed? You know, <laughs> absolutely. I so. believe that. And I'm like huge on positive self talk. Like <clears throat> I will never ever speak anything negative over my life. You know, you you won't hear it come out of my mouth. It it just won't happen because your brain is a very powerful thing and it believes what it hears. I have my kids. You know, my son was struggling in sixth grade. I wrote out a positive affirmation with him and we went through them every single day. You know, you, you have to speak positive words over your life because that's what your mind believes. Oh, that is so true. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. Did you ever have the experience in anesthesia where you've actually put someone like a hypnotic state and then said stuff to them and like, see if they remember it? No, no. <laughs> I need to go back and do some more <laughs> anesthesia, I think. Oh, I got, I got really lucky in my training because um, apparently back in the seventies, there was like, they used to allow dentists to go from dentist to become an anesthesiologist. And then they, they stopped this later. So there was a guy who was actually a dentist, like a, a full blown like DDS. And then this back in like whatever the sixties or seventies, they had a pathway for them to go into anesthesia. And so this guy was just like the kind of like a renegade dude. Like he just did whatever he wanted to do. He was an older guy at the hospital and I was lucky enough to rotate with him. And so we were able to do all sorts of weird stuff that you normally never get to do. Like we, we, we would put people under to anesthesia and we'd induce different states, put EEGs on them. And that's when I first saw how powerful hypnosis was. And actually, the, the guy actually made me do a whole bunch of research before I started to work with him. He said, you need to go research and read about all the hypnotic stuff that was done like in the 1800s where there's like documented cases of like 5,500 patients who had orchiectomies. Not exactly a painless procedure, right? You know, cutting the testicles off, right? You know, like very, very painful procedure. Like 5,000 patients documented had the surgery with only hypnosis, only someone hypnotizing them. Now, the downside is it takes like an hour to like induce hypnosis through like, you know, non-pharmacological means. So it's not really practical, you know. Yeah. So, but um, it, when we started to test people, we started to use different medications. And then we would say like, you know, a certain phrase or something like, hey, remember this? Or like when we start to, you know, inject like propofol in the IV, which it normally burns, uh, you know, he's like, you're going to feel cold in your arm. And the guy was like, I'm going to feel cold in my arm. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. And so what I took away from that was how much we don't appreciate that in our own life. Cause when we're conscious, many people are saying stuff that is horrible to themselves. They treat themselves very poorly. You know, they say stuff, you know, I even hate saying it now loud. Now, you know, I'm dumb. I, I can't do this. That, that kind of stuff. They program themselves for negative. And I think you hit on something a hundred percent accurate. Like in order to be a winner, in order to be successful, in order to be the top 5%, you, if anybody should be a cheerleader for you, it should be you. right? <laughs> so, that is like a, that is another, another sunny gold moment right there. <laughs> sunny golden nugget. <laughs> that is so awesome. 
Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, you were trained in, in anesthesia as a CRNA. You obviously have a great skill set in that. You then did some training with Beautify Academy and Kelly, and you're able to, to kind of learn how to do Botox, fillers, and, and PRP, microneedling, right? Mm -hmm. How did you find the difficulty of going from being a CRNA to doing aesthetics? Did you find it to be much more technically difficult, or would you, because of your skill set, it was fairly easy? Um, the actual work of it was very easy. You know, I mean, whenever you do nerve blocks and spinal anesthesia and epidural, I mean, putting a tiny little insulin needle in somebody's face is nothing. Um, the part that really held me back, though, was like understanding like the vascular anatomy and like the vascular, you know, I think we're smart enough to know what we don't know <laughs> and to know that the whole face is a roadmap full of like veins and arteries and that I'm putting stuff in them constantly. That part was frustrating for me. Um, it still is something that I'm highly in tune to. And if you saw my, my VO kit, you, <laughs> you'd laugh at me. Um, but so that was the most difficult part, the actual doing it, putting needles in people's faces, doing the Botox and things like that. That's all easy. And how do you feel about the whole experience as a provider? Um, I just remember one time I was at the hospital and I, I, I worked on this guy. And so I was putting it in a spinal cord stimulator. It's like a little, almost like an epidural lead, but it's made of metal. It mm -hmm. generates energy field, right? So basically it's like an epidural lead. And I remember it took like three hours because the guy had like cervical stenosis and we were putting his neck. And I got done and the guy's like, hey, doc, thanks. You know, and I got a warning from the radiology department saying like, hey, dude, you just took a ton of radiation, you know, because it took so long. So like, you know, you need to back off on your procedures for a while until you can heal. You know, <laughs> and I was thinking like, OK, cool. Like I basically did all this work and at least the guy, the guys helped. And then the same day, Jennifer had a patient and the patient saw her. I think it was for Botox or filler. And the lady gave her like a Louis Vuitton bag, you know, and I was just like, what a difference, you know, do you find that there's a lot of difference between your, your kind of patient experience now that you're doing aesthetics versus when you were in the hospital, you know, treating people that are going to, to surgery and these kind of things? It is a different experience. I've kind of always been like, like I said earlier, like I wanted to treat each client, each patient one at a time so I could, you know, pour into that person. Um, I feel like with the anesthesia, you know, it's, it's a thankless job and it's a job where if nobody knows your name, then you did a good job. You know, like you, you know, I don't want to be remembered. I don't want my name out there. You know, I know that I did the best for them and that makes me feel good. Um, this is different. You know, people are constantly texting me and sending me th things, you know, somebody shouted me out on Facebook this morning, you know, so I've been told I look 10 years younger than I am three times today. <laughs> so you know, I mean, that's awesome. Things like that, that is, uh, it's really nice. That's something I've never had before. Um, so getting that constant like reinforcement from, from people and how happy they are with the things that I'm providing for them is it's different. And I've got to say, so basically today, someone put a post for uh, to you on Facebook mm -hmm. saying that they've been, they've been told three times today, they look 10 years younger because of your treatments, mm -hmm. right? What an incredible result that you delivered. I mean, you know, just think about the time that we all put like epidurals in labor, you know, right. so often <laughs> you don't hear anything. It's not like a thank you or anything. It's like, all right, get, get the catheter out. We're done. Thank you. you know, like, <laughs> but like, here is somebody who's like, I mean, you made such a profound difference in their life. I mean, even more than I would say some of the stuff we do in anesthesia. Yeah. Uh, not that you can really compare perhaps, but um, I just, to me, that's just like, I don't know what it is, but it's so much it's almost like the difference between sick care and like well care. Like, you know, you're, you're treating people who want to get better. 
versus sometimes you're treating people who have to do things, you know? Right. Like the guy who goes in for the Sisto at like midnight, like he doesn't really want to be there either, you know, (laughs) but he has to. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Um, Any other tips or tricks that you might want to share with anyone who's considering going into aesthetics or even just considering starting their own uh, medical uh, entrepreneur business? I mean, you really don't have anything to lose. I mean, if you, if you see it, if you could see yourself doing it, if you believe that you can do it, if you're, if you can put the time in that it requires, you know, and be dedicated to it, I believe you'll succeed. Do it. And then something that I always, whenever I run into roadblocks in this, if I'm, you know, when I'm having a challenging day, week, month, whatever it is, something that I always, I know Jennifer's big on quotes, so am I. Like, I'm a huge quote <laughs> person. But one of the ones that I always tell myself is whenever you get to the end of your rope, you tie a knot and you hang on. So... that's a great quote i like it yeah how do you think that uh one of the things i'm kind of seeing and i'm seeing this from a lot of people especially uh you know people that are kind of in the larger hospital systems but it seems like the work and the quality of life uh providing what we consider like traditional medicine is decreasing over time so if you look at the 90s people got paid really really well for wasn't like a terrible amount of hours now it seems like the hours are increasing and the pay is either stagnant, like in many cases, like for example, you know, uh, like in pain management, you would get paid more to do pain management procedures in the 90s than you do today, yeah. even though the the value of the dollar has gone down like so much because of inflation, right? Um, so it's kind of, I'm seeing more and more that people that are kind of stuck in traditional medicine, they, they have no control over their own pricing because it's essentially set by the government uh, through Medicare. You can charge your own prices. Do you feel that you have more freedom to make your own money now that you can do that? Or do you, you know, how do you, is there any difference that you feel from being in a, something that's kind of like out of your control, you know, just do the thing versus now you have control of everything? Right. Well, I actually, funny enough today, I went and made that package for the top 1% that you said. <laughs> so I put a $8,000 awesome. package on my, on my, uh, my little service sheet today. So man, perfect. (laughs) You'll, you'll get someone for sure. I promise you. It's only a matter of time. Um, that is so awesome. Well, I guess, uh, if any last minute things you want to share, um, regarding any of the journey of being a medical entrepreneur or anything else you could think that someone might want to know, just surround yourself with people that are going to support you. Um, believe that you can put the time and the effort into it that it requires and just jump. That is so true. That's, you know, now that you mentioned it, it's actually a really good point. Cause I remember when I first started medical school, like I tried to do everything on my own. I was very like a, kind of like a lone wolf kind of guy, you know, like I study on my own, did everything, you know, and I was all, I had a very competitive mindset. So I was always in, you know, they, they grade you on a curve. So, you know, top, so many people get, you know, A's, you know, so it's, it's kind of a competitive environment in a way. And then what I realized was that there was so much reading and so much stuff that the people that did the best were people that were in groups. And it was only because of the group and you'd be very selective who you, you put in your group. Cause you put somebody who was just like lazy or crazy, like they would just waste your time. Right. But those people that had groups that were functioning, they outperformed everyone else, like by a huge margin, because, you know, we would have to read, I don't know, I think it was like 230 pages a day or something. You know, these are dense, you know, medical textbooks. And so you had a group of four people, they could each divide and take a part of it, read it, make notes, and then teach the others. And it like made your work so much easier. You try to do it all on your own. It was like almost impossible. 
I just remember like thinking, wow, you know, you're, uh, we have a saying, right? Like your net worth is related to your network, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so having that network is really critical. <laughs> That's a very good point. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Sonny, for coming on to the Medical Entrepreneur Podcast. I really appreciate it. There's so many, so many great, uh, I call them Sunny nuggets of gold. So, <laughs> so many good pieces of wisdom. I'll take the roll. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. As medical entrepreneurs, we have a saying, one vision, one purpose, freedom through prosperity. If you're ready to follow your destiny and break free of the mainstream medical system, join us at freedomthroughprosperity.com. See you next week.